house it's your main man and host it's me old walls and i'm back number 20 episode number 20 how about that ladies and gentlemen we are here for the 20th episode of old walls house i don't know about you but i can't quite believe it but here we are i'm back for 20 we got a fun show coming up this week before we get to that Let's do just a bit of housekeeping. You guys know the deal. I'm just going to ask you to comment. I'm going to ask you to rate. I'm going to ask you to subscribe, review, share it with your friends and family. If you feel like supporting, the link is there. If you got questions to ask, send them in. I love answering questions. You guys should send more of them. So, again, I appreciate all you guys. Thank you so much for for having fun with me while I do this. Um, Just a couple of milestones I'm going to touch on real quick. By the time this comes out, it's only going to take a couple of people. We're going to be over a thousand uh, listens, downloads, views, whatever you want to call it for the for the podcast. I I never saw that coming, so thank you guys so much. I thought it'd take me a hundred episodes to get to a thousand listens, so uh, thank you so 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 much. Um, the podcast has been listened to in six countries now. We just added a sixth in uh, Germany to go with the U.S., Lithuania, Kenya, Canada, and Australia. How that's happening, no clue. ton of states in the U.S. are listening. Uh, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, New York, Wisconsin, Illinois, New Jersey, Michigan, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Ohio, Georgia, Florida, Missouri, Connecticut, Colorado, Arizona, California, Delaware, Kansas, Texas, Washington, Oklahoma, D.C., Rhode Island, Nevada, Hawaii, Nebraska, Tennessee. So for all of my listeners out there, thank you guys so much. I appreciate all of you. And I, I just hope you're having even a smidge of the fun I'm having with this. So, got a fun show here. Uh, got a guest, Coach Jeff Slanovic, everybody's favorite uh, coach, is back. He's going to talk a little golf with us as well. I don't know if I ever mentioned in our uh, conversation that uh, he is also the head golf coach at FDU Florham. So, the guy's multi-talented, folks. Um, also, I made an appearance on another podcast. I was on Shoot Your Sports off the cuff podcast with Richie and Jimbo. Uh, you can find them. Uh, they've got a website, shootyoursports.com. They uh, live stream their show on Twitch. I think it's also, you know, shows up on Twitter, uh, comes out on Spotify and all the other places. So I was on with them on Wednesday of last week, was on with them for shoot 30, 40 minutes or so, had a good time. So check that out and, and check out some of their other stuff. They're good guys. Uh, I really appreciate them, you know, having me on. So, uh, give them a try and at least at least listen to my my show on them. Make my show the best performing one there was. So, all right, everybody, let's uh, let's waste no more time and let's get right to it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, back this week, Coach Jeff Slanovic. He's not getting an entire resume this week because he's not here to talk basketball for the most part. We may touch on it, but we're here to talk to PGA. We're recording this minutes after the conclusion, and holy shit. What a tournament that turned out to be. Jeffy, welcome back to Old Wall's house. What are your thoughts, man? Thanks for having me. It uh it was a crazy afternoon. It was it was Mito Pereira's afternoon to give away and uh he gave it away. Yes, very much so. And 
I know we, we were just chatting quickly before we went live here. This tournament wasn't great for long stretches. I mean, Saturday was okay at best. I mean, Thursday and Friday was what it was. I mean, Thursday and Fridays are this, relatively the same. But then the early portion of today, Rory tries to get it going, but really couldn't. And we just kind of were talking it out. Like, it, it didn't really make a good turn until the leaders got to, like, 7, 8, 9. And then Justin Thomas made that uh, birdie on 12. I mean, this took a tournament from being one that's forgotten forever to an all-time great tournament. Yeah, it was it was really really close to being one that you kind of just see the guy at the top of the leaderboard hang on enough on Sunday that it makes you forget that other people kind of made a charge. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was aided by the fact that the broadcasters just kept reminding you that everybody who had led at Southern Hills for fifty four holes won the event. Um, so it felt like Mito was gonna just be able to do enough. Uh, you heard him say after that he didn't play well today. That was kind of an understatement. Um, <laughs> what he shot was was probably close to as good as it could have been, um, at least going up to 18. Um, a lot of his big putts that he made were for par. Um, but then all of a sudden, like you said, right about the, the turn of the, of the back nine, JT playing his first couple holes on that side makes back-to-back birdies. And a lot of the other people uh, in that top group just made pars and bogeys. And before you know it, a leaderboard that had a bunch of six, sevens, eights, and nines became a whole lot of four, fives, and sixes. Yeah, it was... I mean, what did Mito shoot? Let me pull this up real quick. He shot 75. 75, correct. That was easily an 80. Easily. And I know he, he kind of fluffed a couple away on 18 and, you know, maybe cut him cut him a shot there at 18. I'm sure as soon as he chipped that ball off the green, he was fucked. But he got up and down from so many dumb situations from, like, right out of the gate today. I mean, he got up, he maximized what he was going to get out of that round. I mean, am I seeing that incorrectly? No, that, that's exactly it, it felt like there were so many times where he was going to come back and he just didn't. And everybody kind of just hung around until they didn't hang around anymore. Like, that's really what it felt like. That, yeah, they all had some birdie opportunities at different times. And obviously those couple guys at the top made a few throughout the day. But everybody at the top of that leaderboard was just holding on for dear life at so many different points in the round, including Zalatoris Mm -hmm. for a lot of the round. Um, And then he obviously comes back and and makes uh, a big birdie on 17 to to give him a chance, Um, a huge up and down on 18 uh, after a poor tee shot there in in regulation left him a long way in. Um, And and all of a sudden he's in a playoff because of how many people backed up to him. Um, and then all of a sudden he's in the lead with JT. Yeah, I wrote I wrote in my notes, and I wish I would have put a timestamp on it, but I wrote Will Willie Z on a roller coaster was my note. I really wish I would have known when I did that. It had to have been somewhere in that, you know, stretch of four to seven for him, because he went birdie, birdie, bogey, bogey. And even before that, I think his pars, if I can remember right, were not just normal pars to start the day. So it was like, looking back on it, we're going to remember this as a great tournament, and it got saved by the last probably three hours, really. Without question. Maybe not even the last three hours, because it really wasn't until the middle of the back nine
line where you actually felt like those top guys were actually going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we, we were texting uh, throughout, and it felt like if you didn't get to six or seven, it wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, um, I think you, and, you and had I think text, everybody had... kind of thought JT maybe was one shy coming in. He left a couple out there. The putt that he had on 15 was obviously just there on the edge, and uh, the putt on 18 obviously just burned the edge. But it felt like you were going to need to get to six, and I think that's why it felt like Nito was going to hold on for dear life because uh, it wasn't a golf course that was yielding a lot of doubles or triples unless you hit a really, really bad shot. Obviously, Mito hit hit two or three of them on the last hole. Yeah, do we, we got. I mean, we just got to talk about the, his tee ball on the 18th hole. I mean, what was that? Have I mean, I have. I've watched a lot of collapses in golf in my life. I mean, we've seen everything from you know go way back as far as we're concerned. You know, to our younger years, like Phil's tee ball on 18 at Wingfoot. Dustin Johnson hits it out of the bunker at Whistling Straits. I mean. You go all the way back to Vanderveld, like at least those looked like their normal swings and they just missed. What the hell was Mio doing on 18? It's a great question. It almost looked like he tried to hit the shot that JT hit on mm-hmm. 18, but all he had to do was hit the shot he had just hit on 17. Um, I think I, I personally thought he was a little bit longer than, than where he was hitting it. Um, I don't know why I got that feeling for the first three days, but that shot he hit on 17, just a butter cut right over the water, short of the bunker, short of the green, is all he had to hit on 18. And for some reason, he tried to hit some low cut that was going to chase and run. And uh, you saw Zalatoris in, in the playoff get a three-wood down there off that slope down yep. to the flat portion. It, it seems like Nito could have done the same thing with the same driver. I, I don't know why he tried to get more out of it than he had to. Yeah, it was almost like he just freaked. Like, he was like, oh, I, I got to get it up there, and I got to I have to have an easy club in so I can knock it on and just two-putt this thing away. Like, I can't have to get it up and down and, you know, be faced with the, the pressure of trying to get it up and down to win outright. It was almost like he knew if he goes to the playoff, he's screwed. It, it did feel that way, but you still, in an aggregate playoff, you've got to give yourself a chance, especially with the chances of it being a three-person playoff, which he had to have known uh, getting to that, that 18th tee that there was a chance that it was going to be not only JT, but also uh, Zalatoris. If Zalatoris was able to make that putt, he was able to just make a bogey. Uh, you'd have a, a three-way playoff, and I think a three-way playoff in an aggregate probably helps him a little bit more than a three-way playoff in uh, if it was a sudden death format going against one of the game's best players uh, and one of the game's best young players, especially with that first hole being a par five, because um, it, it allows you the flexibility to kind of miss one a little bit and get dirty. Yeah, I mean, JT missed that tee ball and, and basically got away with it and then was able to hit a good wedge up there, and he's about as good of the like half-speed half swing wedge players there are in the game today but just just hypothetically if he gets if if Mito makes five on 18 do you think he what do you think he does in the playoff because I don't think he makes a birdie well it's hard to say I I don't know that he makes a a birdie um JT I I don't think he makes two of them uh so I, I don't think he he wins the playoff against JT but I do wonder if having a third person in there being that there really are 
two eagleable holes in that that playoff. Not that you're going to eagle them a ton, but obviously 13 being a reachable par five today and 17 being a, a hole that a number of people flew it on and had really good looks, and there were a few eagles today. You just never know what, what happens, right? Uh, if you get in, it's not like he had to play a ton of really hard holes. It's not like he was going to play 16 plus 18 in the same playoff, right? So mm-hmm. in a three-man play, three man playoff, maybe maybe it goes a little bit different, and that helps him out versus he and JT and Zalatoris playing a one-man or a sudden-death playoff just down 18. Yep. Yeah. The one thing, the one thing I I do have to say, uh, Justin Thomas was the best player all week. Um, he, he's the only guy that you really saw on television today, outside of Matt Fitzpatrick, who was in that uh, PM AM wave that got without question the bad part of the draw. Um, so it's not really a surprise that that he ended up winning it because it, it probably required his best game. Uh, compared to everybody else's, but it, it, it was kind of incredible that, that a, a tournament in, in Oklahoma uh, would be one that, that has such a profound like AMPM wave advantage. I don't know if you've ever been down there at all. It's pretty flat, pretty flat. So the wind can definitely whip, and the change in temperature was wild. I mean, I went through it up here in Wisconsin as well. I mean, it, it wasn't quite 90 on you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but it was warmer, and then it got cold this weekend. But yeah, it, the JT coming out of that wave, and you thought on Saturday him coming out of that wave that he was probably gonna you know turn something on, and then he didn't play well. But yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you that he was by far the best player this week. His rounds on Thursday, Friday, two sixty sevens were as good a golf as you've seen this year. Maybe outside Scotty Scheffler at the at the Masters. But other than that, that's as good a golf as you saw. And then he shoots 67 today. And it's always like the trope, like, oh, he left a couple out there. I really think he left a couple out there today. It's not like you saw him make a ton of long putts. He made a long-ish one on 12 today. But other than that, he didn't make, like, a bunch of bombs or chip in. Like, I think... 67 wasn't much lower than as high as he could have shot today. No, and he made two bogeys. Yeah, yeah, he made two he bogeys, made two on, bogeys front. on that front nine. It really wasn't wasn't until his round started to turn. He he made a birdie on nine, and then went to the back nine and and just played incredibly consistent. Even though he he didn't birdie some of the ones that other people were birdieing, he didn't birdie thirteen in regulation. He didn't birdie fifteen when he had a great look. He did take advantage of seventeen and, and those two other birdies at that time, like we talked about, that allowed him to to kind of just keep shooting up the leaderboard almost in a fashion that that it was not like Rory. Rory comes out of the gates, makes four birdies and five holes, and you think there's going to be a huge wave that just ripples through the leaderboard. And then that quickly ended with with a bogey uh, immediately following that, and and you kind of never really you saw him on TV, but you never really heard from him again after that. Whereas JT just kind of hung there waiting for someone to to fall, and all of a sudden everybody did. Yeah, we'll get to Rory in a second, but to swing back to the leaders, Mio had I, I think it was like twelve feet. Don't quote me on exactly the distance on seventeen for birdie, and leaves it. I don't know, what, a quarter of an inch short? If he makes that, he goes up two 
heading to 18. How different do you think he plays that? Like, then he just can do the Will Zalatoris, three wood to the, the left center of the fairway. Because they were all trying to get it down on that right slot where that flat part was, way down on 18. So if he's got all a right. two-shot lead, now he's just hitting it to the left center, hit it somewhere up by the green, avoid the bunkers that they don't they haven't really liked this week, and then chip it on and two-pot from there, and you're the winner. Like, I think, I think 17 is actually the hole that we need to like look a little bit more at. I think 18 is going to always be under the microscope, but like 17 was the moment. If he either a just chips that ball a little closer, B gets a little bit better, you know, run out and you'll hear boomers trying to scratch the wall off in the background there. Um, but B gets a little bit better run out off his T ball into 17. And then C just makes the putt. Then he's got a two-shot lead going into 18. Like, that changes the entire tournament. I think 17 is where the tournament was lost for Mito, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think that's a really good point. If, if you've got a two-shot lead and you're Mito, I don't know what club you're hitting, but you're probably playing 18 in, in, in a sense of the ball's not going to go in the water off the tee, and who cares if I hit the green? Let's just not be in a position where it's going to be like a tricky – pitch or or flop or something right so you're probably just hitting maybe even like a five wood or a long iron out there who cares if you have 240 yards into the green just hit the next one 200 dead down the middle and just hit something up up on the green from 30 or 40 yards short right uh make your bogey and, and go home with with the water maker um the other thing that uh we saw a lot of people 15 has been a hole that that we, we talked about JT, just missed the birdie. Zalatoris just missed the birdie putt. Both of them missed it low. That's actually a spot where I thought Mito hit a really good putt. Mm-hmm. And, and his putt didn't break left, and he missed it just on the right edge. And that also felt like a putt that if that goes down, he extends that lead, and he pr- provides some separation between him and that group that was falling a little bit. Obviously, he made a huge one on 16 and then 17. It did feel like that that pitch should have been better over the bunker. It came up a little short on him. He shouldn't have had 12 or 13 feet, whatever that was. Um, and, yeah, the fact that that doesn't drop, that gave everybody life. Yeah, he gave everybody just enough life all day. Like, there was never a huge implosion until 18, but just all day long. He gave everybody just enough life. Like, he makes bogey on three. He gets it back on five, but then he follows it up seven, eight, bogey. Bogey's 12. Birdie's thir- Bogey's 14. Like, he left ever- he left the door open just long enough all day long. And at least I got the, and I think I texted our group chat this. I, I got the feeling that he was just kind of scabbing it around. I mean, obviously, scabbing it around on a tour pro level. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's like little just different than yeah, you or I, a little different than the way I scab it around. I scab it around and I shoot fucking 90. He scabs it around and shoots 75 in Southern Hills. But he was kind of scabbing it around for a tour pro. And it was like, he can only do this for so long and get away with it. And it felt like he just, he got as far as he could with like his C game today. And it just finally caught up with him. I think that's a, a very, very 
reasonable way to put it. He, he, without question, didn't have anything close to what he had, obviously, on Saturday when he made the, the charge up the leaderboard. And even before that, to, to leave himself in contention, that Thursday and Friday, he kind of just hung around like, oh, Mito Pereira, who's this guy? Mito Pereira, who's this guy? And then he does it on, on Saturday, and, and seat game is probably a little bit nice. As as we had said, even if he bogeys 18 and doesn't double, it's still 74, and it felt like there wasn't really a whole lot out there that besides really, I guess, 15 and 17, that it felt like he kind of could have gotten those, but there were some really bad ones in there too where it could have gotten worse. Um, yeah, that that's – C is probably – the best that, that you'd give him and, and C is not going to be good enough for a guy looking for their first ever win and trying to do it during a, a major championship. No, not at all. And I think I, I, I'm just going off memory. I think he was something like eight or nine over on seven to 12 for the whole week. I, I think that's what I saw. I know he was, I think I saw after he bogeyed eight, they flashed a, a graphic that he was like, seven or eight over on seven to 12. So, I mean, that stretch of holes. Looking very quickly, he was uh, seven over seven through 12 just on the weekend. Oh, just on the weekend. Wow. Yeah, those stretch of holes really got him. On Saturday, he went par, bogey, 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 par, bogey. And then today, he goes uh, bogey, bogey, par, 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 bogey. Yeah, that's, that's the whole tournament for him is the weekend on those holes. And he was able to rebound from it on Saturday, just couldn't do it on Sunday. I will say this. One big prop for this dude. He walked off the 18th green after doubling his way out of a playoff for not only his first ever major win, his first ever win on the PGA Tour, period, and walked right into an interview. Like, I will give the dude props for that. Like, he didn't run and hide. Like, he went up there. Like, he was like, ah, it didn't go my way. I'm pretty sure English isn't even his native language. Like, he just went up there and took it. So, big props to the dude for doing that. Yeah, I think Darren Ravel, everybody's favorite person out there, tweeted that he lost $1.83 million on the 18th hole <laughs> uh, to step up to the to the microphone and uh, do an interview with Amanda Renner. Uh, it speaks volumes. I, I, I know they, they said that he made some fans this weekend. I think that helps. I think sometimes hearing from those guys, not just when things are going great, uh, is something that we as as viewers and as fans of, of all sports uh, enjoy to see. But if he can step up and, and own it, uh, I think we should, we should force some of these other people to be able to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. So first place this week takes home $2.7 million. And I think he finished T5. So fifth place was 600000 So that'll get split up a little bit. But, yeah, some, yeah, somewhere in the range of $1.8 million. That uh, that hurts the bank account just a, just a smidge. Let's talk a little golf course, like the golf course itself. First of all, the choosing of 13, 17, and 18 was absolutely perfect. Those are incredible holes to use for a three-hole aggregate playoff. Like a reachable par five, a drivable par four, and then a tough par four to finish. I You couldn't pick three better holes. Maybe if you could mix in a par three. but And, and routing always plays a factor in this. Like, you got to get lucky and have the right routing. But 
the fact that they have those three holes as the finishing holes, and so many times it feels like there's the right answer that they just don't do. But this one, perfect. Hats off to Southern Hills or the PGA or whoever decides this. That was perfect. What kind of thoughts on the golf course did you have this week? I thought it was uh, incredibly fun to watch. I know there was a lot of talks about uh, the hitting over of greens from tees because of how much they, length they've added to the golf course since it, it has hosted uh, majors before. You didn't really see that on the actual broadcast, but some of the videos that were going around social media obviously made it uh, a little bit funny. I think the players seem to navigate that um, okay. I thought it was a fantastic golf course. Uh, quickly to touch on the routing in the playoff, like you had said, there are so many times that a tournament goes to a playoff and we all yell at each other in the chats, yelling at the TV at the same time about how stupid it is that they're playing a 440-yard par four over and over and over and over again. Like the Masters. Uh, like, as great as the Masters is, that the Masters playoff is 10 and 18, just back and forth with how many great holes there are out there. And again, I know, like, the logistical and the routing of it matters, but, like, there's a great example. A, a great comparison, right, from a, one major to another. But I think when I watch a major, and the Masters being a little bit different because that's obviously a scorable golf course, the British because it's weather dependent. But when I watch the PGA and the U.S. Open, I like seeing good shots get rewarded, mm-hmm. and I like seeing a golf course that demands the best to be the best. But when you get to a playoff, I don't want to see guys grinding over three holes like eighteen. Right. I don't want to see guys trying to make a 45 footer after hitting a really good tee shot to the proper side of the fairway and drawing one in there to, to take off the, the short sided miss and leaving themselves 30 yard, 30 feet. And the first guy to make a long putt wins the major. I thought it was great that, that they did that where it, the, the, the routing obviously worked, but you get holes in there where guys can hit really good shots and make birdies. Um, the only thing that I, I don't know how you necessarily do it, but I think it led somewhat to the type of leaderboard that we had going into today. Obviously the green speeds being a little bit slower uh, because of how big and how undulated they are. Uh, that definitely with the wind, uh, made it feel like there were a lot of some of the top Americans and some of the top players in the world who struggled because of them being used to playing on incredibly fast greens. Um, I don't think that, that it's a surprise you have some guys up there like Vito Pereira and Matt Fitzpatrick and guys like that who who are maybe a little bit more accustomed uh, to playing some greens that are a little bit slower. Um, and what's a custom over here, obviously they've had a week to get used to that. Um, and, and maybe Southern Hills couldn't make them faster because of those things that, that were mentioned, but that seemed to be something that a lot of guys struggled with those, those first couple days. I know day two, JT said after his 67, he expected to get fresh, great greens and they couldn't even cut them after the first day because of how much wind was coming. So that being the only thing that, that for me, you wish is a little bit better because as we've talked about many times, who cares what the golf course is to the green? You want to be able to play courses that have good greens. Yeah. And, and they got, they kind of hamstrung themselves because they got really worried about the wind. So they didn't cut them. What was it? Friday morning. Um, yeah. and, and like you and said, you don't want a Shinnecock 2.0. Yeah. So ever stay on the green anywhere. And... Exactly. So they're going to all, now they're going to shade, especially in like today's social media world, they're going to shade away from that. But like you said, I mean, you look at it like Mito Pereira, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood's up there, Rory McIlroy, 
Abe Answer, Seamus Power, Cam Smith, Tyrell Hatton, Justin Rose. Like, there were a lot of, like, guys who have a little more experience on those slower greens. And as you point out, like, some of the American guys aren't a little used to that, but in the same aspect, I'm like, just suck it up. Figure it out. You've been there all week. Like get... it's something that we can resonate with, right? Because we show up to a golf course and we pay our greens fee, or, or we walk into the clubhouse at our club, and you have no idea what you're getting today. Maybe Johnny did decide to cut him in the morning. Maybe Tommy <laughs> cut him the wrong way. Maybe they were punched last week and nobody told you. And guess what? You got to go figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. So, and and just kind of some other themes from the weekend. What do we make of Rory? I think that's going to be one of the, the – I mean, I, really since he's blown the lead at the Masters, uh, the question has kind of always been the same. There, there might not be a player on tour, maybe more now than there were then, who have the ability to do something like he did where he birdies four out of five holes and you think he's got a chance to shoot major championship record or something. Uh, you obviously see what he did at the Masters where he backdoors a, a top five or whatever that was, but yet is really never in contention. Um, he's got the, the ability to go so low like he did on Thursday, and, and he just doesn't seem to have the ability to do it for – for four straight days uh, in a major. And you see it every once in a while. I, I know Bay Hill's the one that pops to mind from a, a couple of years ago where when you get Rory, for, that's Rory for four days, you're like, this, this is the perfect golfer. He hits it long. He hits it straight. He makes pots. He's got every shot. And, and he just doesn't seem to be doing it uh, anywhere near as, as often. And, Obviously, you can attribute it to, to being married and having a kid now and all that kind of stuff, but you still see the glimpses. And I think because we see the glimpses like you did on Thursday, like you did the first five holes today, we, we always want more, right? But he is a guy that just seems to kind of keep getting passed in the world ranking by all these other guys who just do it more consistently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... He's he's an anomaly. Like he hasn't won a major since 2014. That's incredibly hard to believe. Wild. Like that's eight years ago, uh, just shy of eight years. It was the PGA of 2014 where they finished in the dark with him and uh, Phil and Ricky were in the group ahead of him, I believe. So that's August of 2014. He has not won a major since then. And, and the craziest part is probably what he was leaving that major, right? By far the best player in the world. I can still remember reading a tweet. I don't even remember. Maybe Ryan Rossillo was like, saying you don't watch the PGA Tour because Tiger isn't playing, because Tiger was kind of in a, one of those stretches where he was hurt. With the what Rory is doing right now is like saying you don't watch the NBA because MJ's gone while watching Kobe Bryant score 81 points. Like, he was unbelievable. Like, he drove it straighter than anybody. He drove it farther than anybody. He hit his irons better. His wedges were still a little suspect at the time. But he still putted well. His short game was good. I can remember he was, the year he, he I think he won Doral in like 2012 or 2013. And was just getting up and down from everywhere. Like, he was undoubtedly the number one player in the world. No questions asked. And was on his way to 
I mean, I don't think anyone ever thought he was going to win 14 or 15 majors, like, realistically. But I don't think there was any doubt in most people's minds that he was going to get up in, like, that Arnold Palmer, Tom Watson, like, 6, 7, 8, 9 kind of range. And I think it was, I think we all thought it was a given. Um, you you bringing this up has, has made me bring up his, his list of, of wins. He, he wins at only the biggest and the best golf courses, but also some of the, the most difficult at times. Like his stretch in the first half of the 2010s, I mean, he won at Quail Hollow. He won the U.S. Open at Congressional by almost 10 shots, mm-hmm. right? He wins at the Honda Classic, one of the toughest tracks on tour, right? And then all of a sudden in 2012, he wins the PGA. He wins two PGA uh, playoff, whatever it was at the time, FedEx Cup or mm-hmm. playoff events. Then in 2014, wins the Open, the WGC Bridgestone, and the PGA all within the same month. And then comes out next year, wins the WGC match play, wins at Wells Fargo again. There's, there's just no reason why anyone at that time would have thought that he wasn't getting upwards of 10 easily. Yeah, it was just, it's just, it's nutty. It's just nutty to think that he hasn't. And you look at his major record, like he's got top tens and top fives, but I mean, since then he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, top tens since his last win but it never feels like he's that much in contention and i i could be forgetting some stuff but it feels like a lot of that is like more backdoor kind of stuff yeah and i i think to to rory's credit he he i guess you could say doesn't stop fighting but when you are out of it going into sunday and you have the talent the length the ability to make birdies at the rate that he does, it obviously is, it's got to be very like free for him, right? Like he must stand over shots and be like, God, I'm nine shots behind Nito Pereira today. He doesn't really need the difference between tied for 21st and tied for 54th money, Mm -hmm. right? Like let's go make as many birdies as possible and see what happens. Right. So, there, there is something to that, that while Nito and while those guys at the top of the leaderboard are trying to hold on for dear life and win, he's just out there free-flowing, free-swinging. Let's see how many pins we can attack. Let's see how many birdies we can make. And all of a sudden, you look, and he's got a lot of those top tens. But, yeah, I can't remember the last time that it was a major, and it was the, the weekend, let alone Sunday, where I woke up and I was like, Rory McIlroy's won back. Like, this is his day. Yeah. And I said, I think I said a week or two ago on the pod here, I was like, he's going to contend in either the U.S. Open or the PGA late on Sunday. And I, as as Thursday finishes up, I'm like, okay, this is, bam, I'm going to be able to come on the pod this next week and tell everybody, I told you so. And then th- Friday happened, and I was like, yeah, okay, you know, a little, a little, you know, a little fallback after a great round. And then Saturday, he just he shit the bed. Really, I mean, there's no other way around it. So, he it's just there's no good way to explain it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he just backdoor a top ten or top five on the PGA Tour recently? 
Yeah. He made everybody believe like this could be his week where he, he gets it going. Yes. I don't know what tournament exactly it was. In between now and the Masters, I think there was something like that. But yeah, it just, it, it, it's mind boggling. It was funny. I wrote a note to myself, I think Friday or Saturday, probably Saturday. I said, whose career going forward would you want more, JT or Rory? Because they kind of fell into the same place. Like, they were all, JT was two shots ahead of Rory going into Saturday. And they both kind of, you know, fell back. Now, obviously, that question changes exponentially after JT wins today. But that's kind of where it felt like those guys were at. And so it's just, it's mind-blowing to me that, that Rory hasn't won since 2014. And, and now JT, who finally got the monkey off his back, who since his win at the 2017 PGA has kind of, you know, underachieved just, I mean, it's crazy to say that he underachieved, but since then he's only had one, two, three, four top 10 cents. And it feels like he's a guy that was always kind of labeled as like a heavy favorite going into it. So it felt like this was really a, a big moment for him. To, to pick this up and win this one. Yeah, if you, if you don't mind me throwing it back on you for, for a second, we've now just talked about two of the best players in the game, or at least when I think of the best players in the game, I still think of Rory, and I've always thought of JT. What What is, obviously there's more very good players. I don't think there's more great players. I think there's more very good players than there's maybe ever been in the game, that when they have their A game, it's going to be really hard to beat them. But, like, why do we think it is that that that's kind of become the case? Like, just in the sport as a whole, that there's 15 guys that you talk about in the way of, like, is this guy going to get to 5 or 7 or 8 or 10? I think there's something to being a front runner in golf in general that, you know, when... You know, you talk, and you know, in just comparison to the last kind of generation, you're talking Tiger, obviously. Your kind of next level guys are like Phil and Ernie. Like those. Phil, Ernie, VJ. VJ, yeah. I mean, that that kind of bunch. Yep. There's kind of something to being, like, knowing just a little that you're just better than the next level. Like, Tiger obviously knew he was better than everybody. Yep. Like, there's a, there's a, there's something to that. Like, Hey, I'm going to go out here, and I just have to not fuck it up to win. And, you know, Tiger had that over everybody. Ernie, Phil, VJ, they had that over everybody but Tiger. Like, right. hey, if and, and it's like, if those other guys aren't involved, like, oh, they can't beat me either. So I, I think there's a little something to that. That it's like the, the object in motion stays in motion. Like, you know, Tiger can just go bang, 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 bang. Phil can get in his stretch from like 2010 to 20, you know, 20, 2004 to 2010, like where he just kind of rips him off. Ernie, same thing. I think it's tougher to get that ball really rolling downhill anymore. Like it's easy, you know, not easy, but like, I think, you know what I mean? Like it's easy to win one and then maybe win a second, like kind of like Colin Morikawa, but it's really tough to like go three, four and then just keep going. Like we're guys yeah, in the I past. Think, I think that's a really good way to put it because what you are talking about has kind of been the last two or three years, right? 
in in different spurts. You went through a spurt where it was like Brooks is going to be a major hero who's always the top five four times a year, right? JT had a little bit of stretch in there where you're like, this dude's the best player in the game right now. Rory has stretches where for a month he looks like it, right? Scotty Scheffler obviously just wrapped up one of the longer ones. Dustin Johnson goes through stretches where for four to six weeks you're like, how could anybody ever beat this guy the way he hits the golf ball and the way his short game is, right? And John Rahm has had stretches like that. Like, there's just so many people. Cam Smith went through a stretch where he won out in Hawaii. Then he wins the players. Like, there's just so many guys that, that can do it for six weeks or mm-hmm. four weeks, and you're like, wow, like, that's incredibly impressive. That I think it makes it hard to, to stay there, right? Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's not like, oh, Phil gets hot for, you know, two months. And it's like, oh, who else is going to get hot? Is it Ernie? Is it Tiger? Is it VJ? It's like, now it's like JT's hot. It's like, oh, is Rory gonna get hot? Is Jordan Spieth gonna get hot? Like he's still kind of out there. It, it's Xander Schauffele. What about Patrick Cantlay, who's kind of shit the bed in the majors? But like he's got the ability to get hot for a couple weeks. Like there's just so many people. Morikawa. Anybody on the U.S. Ryder Cup team? Add Zalatoris. Add Sam Burns. Add Cameron Young. Like it's. I think it's so deep that your game's got to be so tight to really rip them off. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it, it's what makes it both fun and frustrating as as fans of some of these guys because you want to see that that top tier all the time out of out of whoever it is that you're hoping for. And it's just there's too many guys that they get a hot putter for a week and then the next week they still have a good putter and the ball striking matches it. Mm-hmm. All of a all of a sudden that yeah they've ripped off a couple top fives in in a row uh, and they're the the flavor of the month for lack of a better of phrase yeah I, I I think we've kind of nailed it in the last couple minutes talking about that so just just to wrap up the PGA talk great tournament you know well good tournament that turned into a great tournament late anything else that you've been uh, kind of following in the sports world that you want to talk about here today before we uh, wrap this up obviously it's it's NBA playoffs uh, the last week and a half two weeks of games have not been very good uh, but I do think for the people out there who who say NBA basketball has regressed NBA basketball doesn't have defense NBA basketball this NBA basketball that I think you've got four of maybe most well-coached best basketball that we kind of all want to watch, right? There's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of passing. There's a lot of finding the right matchups by, but you're, you're getting to those in a variety of different ways. You're seeing some of the best defensive teams in the NBA play, uh, especially in that Eastern conference series between Boston and Miami. So uh, I think we're all fortunate uh, and, and should be enjoying that because uh, we've got four good ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's still too early to talk baseball. Yeah. Way too early to talk baseball. We'll talk (laughs) baseball sometime in like September. Um, and and I I guess the one other thing I must add is that I'm not a hockey guy by any means, but boy, was that weekend at game sevens fun. That was pretty fun. Yes. As a, as a new hockey fan, that was a lot of fun. And as a guy who's kind of come back to watching a little NBA, the conference semifinals were a lot of fun. Like you said, the conference finals thus far have been okay, 
the Miami Boston series has been better. Um, but I, I'm still kind of keeping my eye on it. The the finals could turn into a good matchup. So, agree. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you. We'll uh, we'll be looking for you again on the on the hard court in the the fall and, and winter. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. So I appreciate you coming on, and we'll uh, we'll look forward to talking again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Let's talk about the uh, kind of the other sports going on. So we're going to roll all other sports into this segment here. We got the NBA, the NHL, and a couple of fights to talk about. So let's start in the NBA. Been keeping up, been watching a little bit of the Heat and the Celtics. Been a competitive back and forth series. It's 2 1 right now. The crazy thing about this, the Heat have only outscored the Celtics in two quarters. They have played 12 quarters. The Heat have outscored the Celtics in 10 of them. Or sorry, the Celtics have outscored the Heat in 10 of them. The Heat have outscored the Celtics in two, and they are still up two games to one. They outscored the Celtics by a boatload in the third quarter in the first game and the first in game three. So they really have just banked a bunch, a bunch of uh, of points, really, in those quarters and have gone on to win. Fun competitive series, though. In the series out west, the Warriors are up 3-0. And Luka and Steph have been going at it. I think in the first game, they both had around 20. Since then, Luka's had north of 40 in games 2 and 3, and Steph's had north of 30. So those two guys are getting at it. Are the Warriors back? Like, are they back to being the Warriors? I don't know. I haven't caught any of that series yet. They still play the games kind of late. I'm kind of like an old man. You know, I like go to bed, get my rest. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get around to checking it out. The Warriors and Mavs play on Tuesday. Got to check that out. The Heat and Celtics, they play here tonight. Just shortly after this, will, this podcast is being recorded, they're getting going here. So, uh, I'm looking forward to watching uh, a little bit of that Heat and Celtics game tonight. That one, like I said, that one's been a fun series. I have I don't have much to say about the Warriors and the Mavs. Haven't watched any of it. Uh, I, I think I've, I've seen a couple of minutes here and there. Uh, NHL playoffs, a bunch of competitive series again. The Colorado Avalanche, they're leading two one over the Blues. Edmonton is the Edmonton Oilers are beating the Flames two one. Carolina Hurricanes are up 2-1 over the Rangers. And then the uh, the series I thought was going to be the competitive one and determine who was going to going to win the uh win the East and go to the Stanley Cup playoffs is uh the Tampa Bay Lightning are up 3-0 over the Florida Panthers and have kind of been putting it to them. 4-1 win in game 1, 2-1 close game in game 2, 5-1 win in in game uh game 3. Unfortunately for uh Clojure, the former Flyers captain not uh, not going so well. They got game four tonight, so that's in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay can close it out. Uh, Rangers and Carolina they play game four on Tuesday. Also tonight is game four of the Avalanche and the Blues, and then also on Tuesday is uh, Calgary and Edmonton. So decent series is to keep an eye on there, and uh, we'll see if the uh, the Lightning are going to eliminate the Florida Panthers. I had that when I when I said that was the series that I thought was going to determine it. I thought the the Panthers were going to win it. To be honest, maybe I was just blinded by a, a little appreciation for Claude Giroux. 
um, in the fight world. I didn't catch any of these, but Holly Holm lost a five-round decision. I I had said when I appeared on the Off the Cuff podcast that that one was kind of a toss-up. There was some discrepancy about the decision and the scoring, I believe. I think it was a split decision, if I'm not mistaken. Again, don't quote me on that. I haven't looked into it too hard. I didn't watch the fight either. So, uh, kind of a tough tough loss for Holly Holm in her comeback fight after being off for about a year and a half. In, uh, in the boxing world, David Benavides, former two-time 168-pound champ, gets a third-round knockout TKO of David Lemieux. That uh, that leaves him kind of in flux again. He's been in flux ever since he's he's lost his title twice. He's never been beaten. He had a strip from him once for cocaine, uh, testing positive for cocaine, and then he had stripped because he couldn't make weight. So he he's kind of hurt himself in his whole not having the right fight for himself because many people think he is as good a chance to beat Canelo Alvarez at 168 as anybody. And by him kind of screwing himself out of that belt, he's lost his opportunity to fight him when he had that belt that Canelo wanted. So I think we've, I think I've mentioned this before. I think the best route for Canelo is go fight triple G back at 168 in the fall and then get to all these guys that are signed up with the PBC at, you know, from 160 to 168. Jamal Charlo, and David Benavides specifically. Fight Triple G in September, and then those are his two fights next year, whatever order he wants. he's. I think he definitely beats Jamal Charlo, and I think him and Benavides is a great fight. So David Benavides is kind of up in the wings. What he should do is he should just fight Jamal Charlo. Jamar, Jamal Charlo fights Mage Schlecki here shortly. That's a stupid fight. He's still at 160, but he's talked about 68. He should go up to 68, he should fight Benavides. That's a good fight. And then the winner can fight Char it could fight Canelo in 2023. And then he's like, that that's a good win to, to demand that fight. So elsewhere, Janabek Alkamahuni. Al 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 I'm just gonna call him Janabek. I'm not even gonna try any farther. He gets a second round TK over Danny Diggum. He wins a interim belt at 160. I think that's the belt that Demetrius Andrade is possibly going to be relinquishing so he can move up to 168, but none of the dudes at 160 are going to fight this guy. They're going to duck this dude for a long time, I think. He looks good. And then this weekend, Tank Davis fights another one of his, I don't know, tune-up showcase fights on pay-per-view. He's fighting Raleigh Romero. There are people saying Raleigh Romero is going to win. I don't know. I don't see it. I think Tank's a pretty good fighter. I just think he's been fighting bad competition. Um, but I think he's a good fighter. And this is apparently his last fight on his deal with Floyd Mayweather's promotional program uh, team. rather. And, you know, hopefully he beats Raleigh Romero and then he can go in. And there's a lot of good fights for him at lightweight. Lomachenko, Devin Haney, George Cambosis are going to do some stuff the rest of this year. But coming out of that, there's Ryan Garcia. Like, there's good fights to be made there for him. And he's, you know, I think he's in his late 20s, maybe 28, 29. Like, it's a good time for him to get into that stuff and get some good fights in him. So, um, I will not be paying for this pay-per-view. He's been fighting just absolute 
dog shit fights for pay-per-view. Like, no chance. And I think the pay-per-view numbers have been crumbling a little bit, but you just can't put bad fights on pay-per-view. There's enough marginal fights that are on pay-per-view already. You can't put bad fights on there, and this is a bad fight, because I think Tank beats this guy up and beats him pretty good. So, hopefully he wins, and even if he stays with Mayweather, hopefully they just start fighting like the other guys. But if not, leave Mayweather and then go kind of float around as a free agent and fight whoever you want. So that wraps up uh, the rest of our sports here for this uh, this fine weekend. Okay, everybody, let's do some of those passing thoughts of mine. And I'm going to start this out with a, just an absolute golden one that I experienced over this weekend. So I had, uh, it was Jesse Kelly tweeted something about that Hassan idiot. I think he's the, he's the nephew of uh, Chank from uh, uh, the Young Turks. He tweeted something, something, something stupid. And Jesse Kelly's question was, is this guy really this dumb or is he just lying on? I've listened to some of his videos and I, I tweeted Jesse Kelly. I can assure you he is that dumb. And I'm not a big, like, like I tweet my shit on Twitter and, you know, retweet some stuff here and there and, and tweet about some boxing or some sports or, you know, tweet out the, you know, the podcast when I put it out. But I'm not big into it. So, like, I don't get a lot of engagement. I mean, mostly I like Twitter because I get to, uh, you know, experience other people's opinions while I'm watching sports or keep kind of, it's news too as well. And so this tweet, when I tweeted at him, got like 15, it started, it just started piling in the likes for me. I mean, like 50, I think got up to like 15. So I was like, screw it. I'm like, here, here's my shameless plug for my podcast. Here it is. And I, I link it up. Man, I got attacked. People were after me. They're like, dude, cool way to, man, standards have really dropped if we're gonna you know 15 likes is blowing up a little bit and uh, you know cool what are you doing i can't believe what i'm seeing it was it was incredible like i, I can't believe how much i got attacked for throwing my podcast here's a good one laugh out loud you get 10 likes and link to your embarrassing podcast no one cares not even a little bit you got a dozen likes please set higher standard for yourself like dudes I don't give a fuck about my standards. I think that tweet got like something like the one I put had like 2,000 impressions on it. My normal tweets get like 150. I have no shame. Also, I fucking loved going back and forth with these people. Like, I get why people like being Twitter trolls. Because it was fun. Like, the one dude, the I made a dude delete his tweets. He, he tweets at me, you got a dozen likes, please set higher standards for yourself. And the dude's profile picture, he's taking a mirror selfie with a mask on. So I tweeted that, I'm like, I've got higher standards than taking bathroom mirror selfies in a mask, so I think I'm okay. He tweeted something back at le- me, like, at least my clothing choices don't suck. Meanwhile, he's wearing, like, pants with, like, a, a big white patch in them. And then he deleted it! Before I could even bitch, like, just bitch at him about his pants, he deleted it. I love this, man. I hope I get into Twitter spats every weekend, because I got a couple of Miller lights in me, and I just started looking at these people's, like, you know, the one guy, Michael McGregor, making impossible possible through impractical means. Okay, buddy. And then, like, I'd start telling people, I'm like, oh, cool, you and your 50 followers or you and your five followers can tell me what to do. And they're like, whoa, 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 I don't base my opinion on myself. On social media likes. It's like, well, that was what you were just bitching at me about. I loved it, though. It was incredible. I need to get into more Twitter fights because it was so much fun. 
these people are also losers. Like, absolute losers. I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, if you're going to attack some random dude you don't know on Twitter and, like, go at him, like, yeah, you're a loser. I mean, my fucking profile picture is Abe Lincoln, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson set up in, like, the NWO-style colors and picture. Like, obviously, I'm not taking myself too fucking seriously out here. Oh, my God. It was it was just an incredible moment. I, I couldn't believe it was happening. Like, nine people were commenting. One dude commented twice. Another dude, this one was probably a bot, commented, like, five times. I think I got bot attacked. It was just, it was mind-blowing to me. So, that was, you know, I can check it off the list. I've been attacked on Twitter. And I will tell you this. I don't, granted, it was only, like, ten people. But, man, if you talk about it's so hard for you, fuck off. Man up. Okay, so moving on. Oh, you know, while I'm bitching about people, you know what's for pussies? For lazy pussies. No mome. Get out there and mow your yard. Your yard looks like shit when you don't mow it. And it's supposed to do something for the bees. I don't give a shit. That's just lazy people looking for an excuse to be lazy. Have some pride in your property. Make it look presentable and mow your fucking yard. No mow may is only done by losers. And I think I saw somewhere on Twitter. I didn't look that. You can take like a four by four spot in like a garden or a flower bed and plant certain flowers that do the same thing for the bees as you leaving your yard to look like a fucking jungle. Get off your lazy fat ass and mow your yard. It takes an hour to mow the yards of the people that I've seen doing this. Probably not even. It takes me like an hour and ten minutes to mow my yard. I think I've got more yard than pretty much everyone I've seen. Like, just just get up and do something. Take a little pride in your home. Like, nothing, like, rattles me more than seeing people who just don't care for the, their property, their home. Where they live. They spend every day. Like, clean it up. Mow your yard. Don't have shit laying around outside. Just just a little, a little bit of pride. Just have a little bit of it. Okay. My bitching is done. I think so. Let me double check here. Yeah, yeah. No more bitching. All happy times. So let's talk some food. That's, that's what makes me happy. So... I've, and I've had, I'm going to start with Smashburger, because I've had Smashburger before. I get it when I fly through the Dallas airport. And Dallas airport also has Whataburger. I've had that. I haven't been blown away by it. I know people really like it. it I don't know if maybe the Whataburger in the Dallas airport, especially the one I go to, it's always really crowded. It's a slow, it, it takes forever to get it. And it always seems like they've screwed it up. And I think I've had it two or three times. So I go to Smashburger, and I don't know where else their Smashburgers are. I don't even know where Smashburger originated. I can look that up as I'm talking here. But I really like it, man. Like, Smashburger holds up next to, like, all the other burger joints. It started in Denver. Um, It it holds up with, you know, Shake Shack, In-N-Out. I haven't had In-N-Out in a while. I need to get some more In-N-Out. I mean, In-N-Out's still my favorite. But it holds up with Shake Shack. It, it's at least as good as Whataburger, I think. 
Um, I mean, it's it's a good burger, man. Like, it's, you know, they're on that upper level. Like, Shake Shack, In-N-Out. I mean, at this point, Five Guys has to be in a different, a different you know, category. Because it's so expensive. I mean, Shake Shack's pretty expensive, too. Like, Smash Burger? Burger Fries drink was only, like, 12 bucks, I think. So, like, that, I mean, that's more in line with, like, Burger King and McDonald's and things like that. So, um, I, I, I like it, man. I like it. I think it's worth a stop when you're around one. Speaking, I mentioned Burger King. Um, I'm gonna, I may shock you, some people here. Burger King has a really good chicken sandwich. I think it's their Chuck King. It's really good. Like, it's up there. It's with Popeyes. It's with Chick-fil-A. Like, it's it's not... I mean, I've also had McDonald's chicken sandwich. Like, they're a good one. That one sucks. Burger King's is really good. It's got a good sauce. It's got a little grease to it. I like that. Like, it... it I am... I can't believe I'm telling you that it's this good. Like, it's as good... It, it's in the discussion with Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. Maybe blasphemous for me to say that, but I'm saying it, and I mean it. I don't know where I saw this, but I heard, I think it was, it had to have been like a reel. Yeah, it was a reel. Someone talking about like walking home with your buddies in 2004, and they were playing the song Soul Survivor by Akon and Young Jeezy. That song still slaps. Check it out. Still slaps. What else we got going on? Uh, ooh, ooh, I started In the Blood, the newest Jack Carr novel. The main character in those uh, novels is James Reese. This is his fifth book. Just started it. Uh, I'm listening to it, not reading it. I know some people get uptight about that, but I am listening to it. Uh, I like listening to it. I drive enough in my uh, in my daily life that I can, I can usually knock them out in not too long. I actually, I was driving last Friday when I got it. And I had like six and a half hours of drive time. And I was on the phone for like four and a half of them. And I had to like finish the golf podcast from the day before. So I only listened to like an hour of it on what I thought was I was going to knock out like half the book. But I'm plugging along in it now. Just getting in the setup. Seems like it's going to be good. The other four books are awesome. They're doing a uh, TV series. They're going to call the TV series Terminalist, which was the name of the first book. That comes out in, I think, July 1st on Amazon Prime. Chris Pratt is playing James Reese. Man, I, I've probably got too high a hopes. I hope they don't screw it up because I loved the first book. The first and third book are so good. Is it the first and third? I think so, yeah. The fourth isn't bad either, but I think the first, and the, I know the first is my favorite. I think the third's my next favorite. So um, hoping this book is as good as those, you know, and hoping the TV series is, is, is solid. Amazon did uh, did reach her right, so I'm happy about that. So maybe they can they can do the same. Yeah. So like I said, I was flying again. You guys, want to know what I'm going to talk about now? You guys know you have to know by now. These people standing up on a plane, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. These people standing up on a plane. It's an epidemic. Like we got to stop this. This plane I was on, they weren't just standing in place. They were just walking right up the aisle. I mean, I was in, like, this plane had, like, 20 rows on it. I'm in, like, row 10. And somehow there were 45 people in front of me before I got off the plane. I'm like, I just don't understand. I don't get it. 
You're not going anywhere. You getting out in front of me is getting you off the plane two and a half seconds early. And then on this plane, we're going to go stand in the jet ramp and wait for all our carry-on bags because the plane was so small you can't put anything in the overhead. You got nowhere. Just sit there and wait your turn. You know who did sit there and wait his turn? My man sitting next to me who had a a case, like a hard case for his cowboy hat. And it, it came in, and it was like a circle with like a, a centerpiece that came off. And I'm like, man, I wonder what that is. And I didn't know until he said to some gentleman, excuse me, I need to reach back there and get my hat. And I just happened to look over, and my man didn't grab a hat. He grabbed this case. My man carries a cowboy hat around in his case. I can't tell you how awesome that was, and it just seems like it fits Texas. So that was pretty cool. Um, oh, talked a little music just before. Whatever happened to uh, Theory of a Dead Man? Anyone know? Anyone used to listen to them back in the day? They were big when I was in like high school and just starting college. They just disappear off the face of the earth. I mean, that that kind of music's kind of out of, you know, out of vogue, as they would say. But I just wonder what happened to them. They had some good tunes. Uh, what else we got? Oh, uh, the Alan Shipnuck book on Phil came out. I haven't read it. I haven't really even seen many excerpts, but the one I did see, this one is incredible. Gary McCord used to bet with Phil during tournaments. He would be up in one of the towers on like a green, you know, he'd be stationed at the 15th green. And when Phil would hit his ball onto the green, Gary McCord would like flash hand signals down to Bones and be like, oh, that's a a three to one odds, two to one odds, four to one odds. Bones would acknowledge him, would go over to Phil, tell him what, you know, McCord relayed down to him. And then Phil would look up and either shake his head yes or no about whether or not he was going to make the putt. And then McCord would either have to drop money down or Phil and Bones would give money to somebody to toss up to McCord. Like, in the middle of the tournament, these two are doing long-range, like, betting odds over what putt Phil's going to make. I think that's absolutely incredible. So that that was my favorite thing I'd heard thus far. Um, let's finish up uh, my passing thoughts with a couple TV things. Uh, finish season two of The Wire. It was okay. It was okay. It took a little bit for it to get going. They kind of had... Spoiler alerts, guys. This TV show's only been out for like 20 fucking years now. So um, they kind of spread out all the different like characters and got them in different you know police units. And they had to bring them back. So it took some time to do that. By about halfway through the season, it felt like the show got rolling a little bit. Not nearly as good as the first season, but damn, that first season was really good. So that was going to be hard to top. Um, but... I enjoyed it. I'll I'll have I'll start season three. I'm not in a rush. Uh, also watching Game of Thrones with the roommate, so not, I'm not I'm not in a hurry to get to it. But it's a good. It's like my it's my treadmill show right now. Weather's getting a little nicer, so I'm doing a little more outside running. So yeah, it's uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm gonna keep watching it. Season two, not as good as season one. Something I rewatched and I've rewatched it now over the weekend, or past week, too. Um, the Last Dance. I think I talked about it previously. Man, what an inc- 
incredible documentary. And I mean, documentary might be. I know some people say, oh, it's not a documentary because Michael Jordan had. Whatever it was, it's incredible. And there's just still a couple of things that, like, really popped in my mind. Somebody told Michael Jordan there is no I in team. And he's like, yeah, but there is in win. I don't know if he says. I've seen the quote credited to him, but there is an I in win motherfucker. Which seems like something he would say just from watching that. The One of the other things about MJ that I found so interesting. Like they're talking about when the Pistons walk off the floor after they finally beat him in the 91 Eastern Conference Finals. And Isaiah's like, oh, we didn't shake hands. And like they show all the videos of MJ like shaking hands the last two years. And he's like, just go watch the video. There's me shaking everybody's hand. And then Isaiah pieced out and doesn't shake his hand. Like, you can tell that still, like, deep in his soul pisses him off. And he, to this day, hates Isaiah Thomas. Like, his hatred for Isaiah Thomas, to this day, is incredible. Like, they show him, like, the, the producer hands him it. And he's like, here's what Hi- Isaiah's saying. He's like, I don't, I mean, none of this is going to change my mind, but I'll watch it. And then, like, he's like, discards it all. immediately. Like, it's incredible. The hatred that sticks with him for Isaiah. Like, that dude writes people's names down. It's like, I hate you. I hate you. Just awesome. Uh, the shoes. Nike wanted to sell $4 million of Air Jordans. I think it was over four years. It may have been three. But $4 million of shoes over three or four years. They sold $126 million in one year. One year. And MJ wanted to sign with Reebok. What, I mean, just absolutely changed how shoes are for basketball. Just incredible. Um, the Bulls' black jerseys that they were wearing in that time frame. Kemp. Also, I would turn the NBA on. They're always wearing different color jerseys. Like, the home team's wearing the away jerseys half the time now, like the darks. Can we just go back? Can you have a, a home jersey and a away jersey? Throw in an alternate there. If you want to occasionally wear the alternate at home, I get it, but. Can my home teams wear white and my away teams wear their colored jerseys? I just, it makes everything easier too. But those black with the little, with the pinstripes in them, the black Bulls jerseys, man, those were, those were sharp, man. So they were also talking in there, it covers when MJ, when the baseball strike happens, MJ basically just starts going to the Bulls practice, like just starts showing back up. Like, it starts as, like, a come say hi, come stop in, and then, like, all of a sudden, he's just there. Can you imagine, in today's day, with the media, Twitter, stuff like that, what all the speculation would be like? Like, there would be people posted outside there, tweeting every day, 12.05, MJ walks in. It's 12.15, MJ is not back out. There would be full-time camera crews. There would be a breakdown every four minutes on ESPN. Like, people would be losing their ever-loving minds. And then when he came back, you know, the the perfect, the most perfect press release ever, I'm back. Just the speculation around that would have been insane. And talking about things <clears throat> that the media response to would have been insane to as well, my man, Dennis Rodman, in the middle of the 1998 NBA Finals, just said, fuck it. I'm going to Monday Nitro. And me and Hulk Hogan are going to whoop DDP's ass. Just cut out of the middle of the NBA Finals. And everyone was like, where'd he go? And then all of a sudden on TNT or TBS, whatever Nitro was on, 
There comes Rodman. NWO Black Knight smoking cigars, hanging out on Nitro with Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff. Like, the level of baller that that is, is just... It's it's on a level uncomprehensible to, to a normal man. That he just said, you know what? I'm in the NWO tonight, and tomorrow night I'm going to go whoop Carl Malone's ass. And you can also tell the hatred Bob Costas has for Rodman in the couple of clips. And if you've ever watched those that those games from that 98 NBA Finals, Costas hates pro wrestling so much. Like, as much as MJ hates Isaiah, Costas hates pro wrestling that much. And you can just hear it coming out of that short little dweeb's mouth about how disgusted he is that that Rodman would go, Rodman and Malone would go do the wrestling in the... Fuck you, Bob Costas. So. So, yeah, that's uh, that's all my passing thoughts for this week. I know I, I kind of rambled a little bit on there, but I had some good good things I felt like really uh, rambling about. So, let's get this thing wrapped up. Okay, everybody. Closing time now. Let's get this thing wrapped up. So, I appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out. Uh, I appreciate Coach Jeff Slanovic for coming on, being our guest, talking about the PGA Championship. Really appreciate when we have people on. We'll definitely have Coach Slanovic on again. As I mentioned before, please uh, please go check me out on the Off the Cuff podcast. That's uh, Shoot Your Sports Off the Cuff podcast with Richie and Jimbo. Had a great time there. Talked a lot of fun stuff. Check out that episode. And then, you know, if you like that, check out some more other stuff. They're, uh, they're good dudes. Um, going to be back next week. Got the, the Tank Davis fight to talk about. There's going to be golf, you know, NBA and NHL playoffs. And trust me, I'll, I'll find something to rant and rave about in that time frame. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, peace.